Have you ever wondered what it's like to be an animal? Animals seemingly lead such simple lives. Yet in Living Like Weasels, Annie Dillard describes an encounter she had with the weasel while sitting on a log in the woods. This encounter leads to many revelations in how weasels and humans live and how they contrast. Annie Dillard was born on April 30, 1945, with World War II ending several months later on September 2nd. Dillard was born the oldest of three daughters, and in her autobiography, An American Childhood, which was published in 1987, Dillard talks about how she grew up in a neighborhood in Pittsburgh where she starts waking up from a self-absorbed childhood and becomes immersed in the moment of the larger world. This instance led to Dillard loving to read a variety of subjects, including geology, natural history, and especially military history, such as World War II. As a child, Dillard attended a Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh, even though her parents did not attend. She even went to a church retreat, though she quit church because of the hypocrisy she saw. When she told her minister of her decision, she was given four volumes of C.S. Lewis's broadcast talks, in which she was exposed to the author's philosophy on suffering, which she found quite interesting. In college, Annie Dillard studied literature and creative writing. After graduating, Dillard focused on oil painting, writing, and keeping a journal. She also had several poems and short stories published. Over Annie Dillard's writing career, she has had poetry, essays, prose, literary criticism, two novels, and a memoir, all published. She won a Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction for Pilgrim at Tinker Creek in 1975. Living Like Weasels was published in 1982, a part of an anthology work called Teaching a Stone to Talk, Expedition and Encounters. Living Like Weasels is an essay that is split into six different parts. The first part starts out as this. A weasel is wild. Who knows what he thinks? He slips in his underground den, his tail draped over his nose. Sometimes he lives in his den for two days without leaving. Outside, he stalks rabbits, mice, muskrats, and birds, killing more bodies than he can eat warm, and often dragging the carcasses home. Obedient to instinct, he bites his prey at the neck, either splitting the jugular vein at the throat or crunching the brain at the base of the skull, and he does not let go. One naturalist refused to kill a weasel, who was socketed into his hand deeply as a rattlesnake. The man could in no way pry the tiny weasel off, and he had to walk a half a mile to water, the weasel dangling from his palm, and soak him off like a stubborn label. Wow, the weasel is quite the character. Nat Geo Wild describes the weasel as a serial killer. A weasel is known as being a hoarder as well. Some weasel dens have been found to have up to 50 carcasses hidden away, which ensures a solid stockpile of food in times of scarcity. 
Ferrets and the mink are known family members and share common traits of the weasel. The weasel is fairly small with a long, flexible neck and body, a small slender head, and short legs. They are usually brown with a white or yellowish underbelly, but in the wintertime, their coats turn a beautiful white. Weasels are known for killing game twice their size and are even quite dangerous to humans with sharp claws and teeth, which the poor man, who could not pry the tiny weasel off, learned. Which, man, if I was him, I do not believe I would be walking half a mile to the water to get the weasel off. I would be running. And Dillard continues living like weasels with paragraph two. And once, says Ernest Thompson Seaton, once a man shot an eagle out of the sky. He examined the eagle and found the dry skull of a weasel fixed by the jaws to his throat. The supposition is that the eagle had pounced on the weasel and the weasel swiveled and bit as, in- as instinct taught him, tooth to neck and nearly won. I would like to have seen that eagle from the air a few weeks or months before he was shot. Was the whole weasel still attached to his feathered throat, a fur pendant, or did the eagle eat what he could reach, gutting the living weasel with his talons before his breast, bending his beak, cleaning the beautiful airborne bones? Wow, what a sight indeed this would be. Ernest Thompson Seaton was a wildlife artist, author, and founder of the Woodcraft Indians and one of the founding pioneers of Boy Scouts of America. But man, imagine Thomas Seaton's just sight when he saw this eagle have an actual weasel stuck to his throat. Now, weasels are fairly small, known to be around 6.8 to 8.5 inches long. Whereas an eagle, an eagle is around 34 to 43 inches long with a 6 to 8 foot wingspan, which is 72 to 96 inches across. I mean, whew. And an eagle weighs 6.5 to 14 pounds. An eagle is compared like a total wingspan to a 6 foot man. Whereas a weasel... Man, it only weighs around 3 to 12.3 ounces. Ounces. The largest eagle at 224 ounces, which equals 14 pounds, is around 18 of the largest weasels. Wow. 18 weasels equals... One, oh, 18 of the largest weasels at that equals one of the largest in weight eagles. Part two moves into Annie Dillard's explanation of why she has suddenly be in, been interested in weasels. It starts, I have been reading about weasels because I saw one last week. I startled a weasel who startled me and, and we exchanged a long glance. Twenty minutes from my house, through the woods by the quarry and across the highway, is Holland's Pond, a remarkable piece of shallowness where I like to go at sunset and sit on a tree trunk, 
Holland's Park is also called Murray's Pond. It covers two acres of bottomland near Tinker Creek with six inches of water and 6,000 lily pads. In winter, brown and white steers stand in the middle of it, merely dampening their hooves. From the distant shore, they look like miracle itself, complete with miracle's nonchalance. Now, in summer, the steers are gone. The water lilies have blossomed and spread to a green horizontal plain that is a terra firma to plodding blackbirds and, trem- and tremulous ceiling to black leeches, crayfish, and carp. This is, mind you, suburbia. It is a five-minute walk in the three directions to rows of houses, though none is visible here. There's a 55-mile-per-hour highway at one end of the pond and a nesting pair of wood ducks at the other. Under every bush is a muskrat hole or a beer can. The far end is an alternating series of fields and woods, fields and woods, threading everywhere with motorcycle tracks in whose bare clay wild turtles lay eggs. Pause. Wow, what a contrast between nature and humanity. I mean, under every bush is either a muskrat hole or a beer can. It's almost sad how humans have corrupted the stillness of nature. Dillard continues on. So, I had crossed the highway stepped over two low barbed wire fences and traced the motorcycle path in all gratitude through the wild rose and poison ivy of the pond's shoreline up into high grassy fields. Then I cut down through the woods to the mossy fallen tree where I sit. This tree is excellent. It makes a dry upholstered bench at the upper marshy end of the pond, a plush jetty raised from the thorn shore between a shallow blue body of water and a deep blue body of sky. The sun had just set. I was relaxed on the tree trunk and concise in the lap of lichen, watching the lily pads at my feet tremble and part dreamily over the thrusting path of a carp. A yellow bird appeared to my right and flew behind me. It caught my sight. It caught my eye, pardon me. I swiveled around, and the next instant, inexplicably, I was looking down at a weasel who was looking up at me. End part two. Start of part three. Weasel. I had never seen one wild before. He was ten inches long, thin as a curve, a muscled ribbon, brown as fruitwood, soft furred, alert. His face was fierce, small and pointed as a lizard's. He would have made a good arrowhead. There was just a dot of chin, maybe two brown hairs worth and then the pure white fur began that spread down his underside. He had two black eyes I didn't see, any more than you see a window. The weasel was stunned into stillness as he was emerging from beneath an enormous shaggy wild rose bush, four feet away. I was stunned into stillness, twisted backward on the tree trunk. Our eyes locked, and someone threw away the key. Our look was as if two lovers or deadly enemies, met unexplained, unexpected, unexpectedly on an overgrown path when each had been thinking of something else, a clearing blow to the gut. It was also a bright blow to the brain, 
or a sudden beating of brains with all the change and intimate grate of rubbed, of rubbed balloons. It emptied our lungs. It filled the, it filled, it filled the forest, moving the fields and drained the pond. The world dismantled and tumbled into the black hole of eyes. If you and I looked at each other that way, our skulls would split and drop to our shoulders. But we don't. We keep our skulls. So, he disappeared. This was only last week, and already I don't remember what shattered the enchantment. I think I blinked. I think I retrieved my brain from the weasel's brain and tried to memorize what I was seeing. And the weasel felt the yank of separation, the, the careening under the wild rose. I waited motionless, my mind suddenly full of data, and my spirit with pleadings. But he, did not, but he didn't return. Please do not tell me about approach-avoidance conflicts. I tell you, I've been in that weasel's brain for 60 seconds, and he was in mine. Brains are private places, muttering through unique and secret tapes. But the weasel and I both plunged into another tape simul simultaneously for a sweet and shocking time. Can I help it if it, went, if it was a, a blank? What goes on in his brain the rest of the time? What does a weasel think about? He won't say. His journal is tracks in clay, a spray of feathers, mouse blood and bone, uncollected, unconnected, loose leaf and blown. End of part three. Annie Dillard's imagery is astonishing. The way, even in the last sentence, uncollected, unconnected, loose leaf, and blown, you can tell that she has much experience in poetry. But how she describes this instance made me think of so many different circumstances. Even though a weasel, even though it seemed small, it wasn't as if it was a bear where you know you could die. Yes, a weasel is dangerous, but he was far away. He couldn't possibly hurt Annie Dillard from this distance. But the experience, the freeze, I imagine it as if it was I saw a bear, like a grizzly bear, and I knew... I could die here if I move. But then she also says the look of two lovers, as if the situation was almost not quite romantic, but just a still comfortableness, perhaps. But I can imagine that this moment was forever. There's something that just happens when one takes a moment and gets a very close look at nature. It's just a feeling that, just a feeling of pure awe of how something can be so beautiful, so powerful, or so timid and small. Part three really makes you question, do animals even have feelings? Do they have a conscious? Do they know, oh, that's a human, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so. Personally, I believe that it's just instinct. A dog isn't, doesn't really care if the dog next to him at the dog pound is starving. 
when food is placed in front of him, he's just like, ooh, yummy, food. It's his instinct. Yet dogs can also be trained to love and to care for other dogs and humans. But the natural instinct is to survive. Part 4. I would like to learn or remember how to live. I come to Holland's Pond not so much to learn how to live as, frankly, to forget about it. That is, I don't think I can learn from a wild animal how to live in particular. Shall I suck warm blood, hold my tail high, walk with my footprints precisely over the prints of my hands? But I might learn something of mindlessness, something of the purity of living in the physical senses and the dignity of living without bias or motive. The weasel lives in necessity and we live in choice, hating necessity and dying at the last ignobly in its talons. It would like to live as I should, as the weasel lives as he should. And I suspect that for me the way is like the weasel's, open to time and death painlessly, noticing everything, remembering nothing, choosing to give with a fierce and pointed will. Pause. And that truly is the difference between human and animals. Animals live out of necessity. They only have one purpose, and that is to survive. Whereas humans have the choice. And it is truly interesting how Dillard states that humans hate necessity, which is very true because we get so caught up in necessity, in the American dream, or just what the social standard or the top line is the idea that the idea of materialism and what we have to have to be popular or to succeed. Starting part five, Dillard states, I missed my chance. I should have gone for the throat. I should have lunged for that streak of white under the weasel's chin and held on, held on through mud and into the wild rose, held on for a dearer life. We could live under the wild rose, wild as weasels, mute and uncomprehending. I could very calmly go wild. I could live two days in the den, curled, leaning on mouse fur, sniffing bird bones, blinking, licking, breathing musk, my hair tangled in the roots of grasses. Down is a good place to go, where the mind is single. Down is out, out of your ever-loving mind and back to your careless senses. I remember muteness as prolonged and giddy fast, where every moment is a feast of utterance received. Time and events are merely poured, unremarked, and ingested directly, like blood pulsed into my gut through a jugular vein. Could two live that way? Could two live under the wild rose and explore by the pond, so that the smooth mind of each is as everywhere present to the other, and as received and as unchallenged? As falling snow, we could, you know. We can live any way we want. People take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, even of silence, by choice. The thing is to stock your calling in a certain skilled and supply way, to locate the most tender and live spot and plug into that pulse. This is yielding, not fighting. A weasel doesn't attack anything. A weasel lives as he's meant to, yielding at every moment to the perfect freedom of a single necessity. End of part five.
Dillard wants to live like a weasel because she would be free of her choice, her human condition. James Patterson famously states that knowledge is a terrible burden. It may help you, but it may also destroy you. As a weasel, Dillard would only have to focus on the next meal, the perfect freedom of a single necessity. The single, the single necessity just being survival, being instinct. Another famous quote re reminds me of Thomas Gray's Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College, which states, Where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. Ignorance is bliss at times when you don't know the truth. But what is the one true necessity? Dillard is saying that it would be amazing just to have one necessity. For humans have, we, according to Dillard, hate necessity. We have so many different necessities. What are you living for? Annie Dillard concludes her thoughts in part six. I think it would be well and proper and obedient and pure to grasp your one necessity and not let it go, to dangle from it limp wherever it takes you, then even death, where you are going no matter how you live, cannot you part. Seize it and let it seize you up aloft even till your eyes burn out and drop. Let your musky flesh fall off in shreds and let your very bones unhinge and scatter. Loosened over fields, over fields and woods, lightly, thoughtless, from any height at all, from as high as eagles. End of Living Like Weasels. Annie Dillard, as the conclusion of As High as Eagles, goes back to the very first part of saying a weasel is wild. No one knows what he thinks, yet probably only of his in instinct is what he thinks. His instinct to hold on and to be tenacious in his one necessity. His one necessity being instinct. His need to eat, to survive, to hold on. Annie Dillard is saying that we need to find our one true necessity. And to hold on and never let it go. Just like the weasel held on and never let go till its death by the eagle. But that also leads to the, to the question of, would you rather be free to just the one necessity of instinct? To be like free like a weasel or free like a human to be burdened by, by multiple necessities and always in search for the one true necessity? Always in search for more. Annie Dillard's points here are the concepts of mindlessness and necessity as opposed to consciousness and choice. Annie Dillard, even though she writes about multiple religious subjects, states on her official website that she is not religious. Yet, myself, as a religious person, I only believe that there is one true necessity for everyone, a necessity that satisfies Yet I encourage you to be tenacious like the weasel and hold on to this 
search for this true necessity. For that's truly what we have in our human condition. We have the choice to search for the true necessity. So go out there and hang on to that eagle. For the true necessity, it will take you far higher than an eagle ever could.